For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, speak to us tonight in the name of Jesus and Lord, I ask that you help the Georgia Bulldogs because they were struggling this Saturday. And all God's people said, amen. You can grab a seat. You can grab a seat. <laughs> you can grab a seat. It might be Alabama's year. It might be their year. The title, the topic I want to talk for for the next few moments during our time together, I actually, during this entire message, I'm going to ask you one particular question, and I'm going to ask you this question over and over and over, and you guessed it, and over again. This question is, who does God choose to use? Who does God choose to use? Matter of fact, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to look at your neighbor, look at him real good, and say, why me? Why me? Why me? Say it like you mean it. Say, why me? Matter of fact, I want you to look at your other neighbor, your second choice, and say, why not me? This is an important question, not only for every believer, but for everybody. Why? Because the Bible is clear, and the Bible gives us a clear picture of the people that God selects, anoints, empowers, and uses for his glory. And according to the verses we read, and even in the verse in Ephesians that we read earlier, you are no longer sinners. We talked about this last week in our, uh, the last series where we talked about saints and ain'ts. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are no longer identified as sinner. However, we are all in our life at some point have been called sinners. And according to that verse, you are saints, you are citizens, you are relatives in God's family. You've heard me say it this way. I believe it's important to continue to say it, that when you get saved, you don't just get a father, you get a family. That's how important God's word is. Because he wants to communicate this to you, that you are saved, you are sanctified, you are called, you are appointed, you are what is called set apart. You are selected, you are chosen. Somebody say chosen. It's not a big word, but it's an important word. And you are a saint. And if you remember, I, I kind of gave you a definition of what a saint is. And what is a saint? It's God's holy people. I changed it from set apart to chosen. God's holy people chosen for God's special purpose. And that verse I used was 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. It says, to the church, to you, to the church, to those sanctified, again, set apart, made holy. Whenever you see the word sanctified, don't get freaked, about, freaked out about it. It literally means set apart or set aside. Set aside, made holy in Christ Jesus, the church. Who you are selected and called as saints, God's people. So if you're sanctified, you're set apart, you're holy, you're consecrated, that's another word that you're going to want to see in your Bible that you're going to want to know how to use, that you are selected, that means you are chosen. That means when God was picking his teams, he was like, I choose you and you and you and you. You are selected, you are chosen, and then you are called. He not only selects you, he calls you by name. He says you are his. However, the word sinner in your Bible, and you may not know this, it's a derogatory term. It's a hard word. It's a, it's a strong word. I don't know if you're like me, if you're brave enough to do this, but I don't know if you've ever went up to somebody, looked at them in their face, and be like, you a sinner. I don't know anybody brave enough to say that to somebody. It's a derogatory term. It's a strong term. Now, we get away with it at church because right now, like, let's practice. I can look at you and be like, you're a sinner. Nobody's going to stand up and be like, no, I'm not, because you know deep down in your heart, yeah, that's true. But if you were to go in your classroom, if you were to show up in the street and be like, bro, you a sinner, and somebody might not know what that means, you might have to throw hands, not lay hands, and it might be a problem. However, the word sinner, it was used to communicate that someone was less than, that someone was inferior to, 
when the Bible is clear that we have all fallen short of the glory of God, and the Bible communicates that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. Why is this important? It is it's important because the sacrifice of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, we are saints. We are chosen. Somebody say chosen. Which leads me to ask the question that's the title of this message. Who does God choose to use? It's a really good question, but before I give you some notes to write down, I want to give you a little history to keep in mind. I realize that some of you may not know my story. Some of you have heard it, and I'm not going to go into all the details of it, but I want to share with you to set the stage for the points that I'm going to try to make tonight. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story. I, in fact, most of you, or I assume most of you don't know this, but I was born right here in Dothan, Alabama at Southeast Alabama. Anybody? Uh, Southeast Hospital. Anybody else born at Southeast? That's what I'm talking about. Thank you, Tiff Tiff. All right, Claire. Reed. Cool. Awesome. You can put your hands down. And Lindsay. That's a funny story, y'all. Me and Lindsay were born at the same hospital, but not at the same time, because that would have been, like, that would have been cool, but it wasn't that cool. It was about a year apart. Anyways, <laughs> we were both born in Dothan, Alabama, born at Southeast Hospital, and uh, I was raised in Georgetown, Georgia. Come on, guys. Y'all could do better than that. I was raised in Georgia. Um, I, I, again, go dogs. We need help this year. We need prayers. Y'all be fasting. They need a lot of help. So uh, I was born in Georgetown, Georgia, and my mom, if you haven't noticed, I am mixed. My mom is white, hillbilly white, blonde hair, blue eyes, white. Somebody say white. It was like, I could say that in church? Yes, white. Okay, so my dad, my dad is black, hood black, like black, black, black with a capital K on the end, like hood black. So guess what? That makes me a hood billy. That's what I am. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't you dare tell anybody that. Uh, you can. I don't really care. But my father, my father was a tough man because all jokes aside, both of my parents grew up poor. They grew up in a in hard situations. My mom, watch this, y'all. My mom was the baby of 13 children. Yeah, my grandparents, they were different, like <laughs> baby of 13 children. And my, uh, my dad, as I said, he was a tough man. He was a very hard man. My, I never, I seen, in all my life, I saw my dad cry one time. One time. In fact, when his mother passed away at the hospital at, at Southeast, my grandmother died at Southeast. From, uh, they took her off, uh, it was a DNR, do not resuscitate, took off the breathing machine. I'm crying. I'm sad. It's my grandmother. My dad looks at me in my eyes and says, dry up. Like, that's how tough. He was, and he wasn't being insensitive. That's how he was raised. In fact, I'll tell you, he had a nickname. His nickname was Hard Rock. <laughs> I guess uh, that his nickname, was, he was given that nickname because he was hard-headed. I, I don't know, but he really was a tough man. And not only that, he was really a hard worker. He worked real hard, and I think he worked so hard because of the environment he grew up in. So, again, I'm telling you my story. I'm taking you. I, I should have put the baby picture up. My aunt sent me a baby picture today, and y'all had a big old head. And I'm like, Lord, please don't do that to my baby because my dad, he, he was hard rock because he was hard-headed. But don't give my baby this because it's a problem. Anyways, <laughs> and my father, what's interesting is I would later find out on my 21st birthday that he was actually my stepdad. On my 21st birthday, I found out the man that I called Pops. My whole life, my dad, my, my daddy, however, however, some of y'all, you know, you say it with an E, daddy. Like, however you called your dad, your dad, whatever you said about him, some of y'all are y'all real proper, father. Like, whatever you called him, I called him pop. I found out on my 21st birthday, y'all at Applebee's, who goes to Applebee's on the 21st birthday? On my 21st birthday, 
my mom tells me, I have no doubt in my mind that Eddie's not your dad. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> my life has changed. For 21 years, this man I called Pop was in fact no blood relationship, was in no blood relation to me. Now, the last name that I bear is not the last name of my biological father. It's not the last name of my real father. But let me tell you another good thing. When I gave my life to Jesus, and I wrestled with this my whole life, I was like, man, do I change my name back to my mom's maiden name, or do I change my name to my biological's, biological father's name? And the Lord told me, he said, keep the name because I'm redeeming them too. I'm just telling you my story because I want to tell you, when I try to answer this question through my life, who God chooses to use. My parents, after 20 years of marriage, were getting a divorce due to infidelity. 20 years. Like they were, not, not 20 minutes, not 20 months, not 20 weeks, 20 years. Suddenly certain, certain things started to make sense. My environment started to make sense. My parents' decisions started to make sense. And in fact, it taught me this lesson. You, it'd be good for you to know this. You might even want to write it down because it's not going to be on the screen. You cannot heal in the same environment you got sick in. I started to learn this as a kid. You cannot, you cannot heal in the same environment you got sick in. So outside of my parents' home, if you could just imagine the hood of Georgetown, Georgia. Matter of fact, <laughs> this might be a little bit funny. I'm not going to go there because it's bad. If there's a certain movie that Georgetown clearly, like, emulates, it's just like it. But don't, I'm not promoting any bad movies, so don't go watch those. <laughs> but outside of my parents' home, I was influenced by some unsavory characters. I was influenced by, by some unique individuals. I was influenced by alcoholics, drug dealers, drug users, abusers, liars, cheats, thieves, etc. This was my life. Needless to say, I didn't grow up in church. In fact, in the Caesar household, church wasn't a command. It was a choice. I got to decide whether or not I went to choice. For some of you, like, I wish I could choose. No, you don't. But I had a choice. I had the option to choose whether or not I went to church. And what eventually led to me making certain decisions, but I remember going to Eufaula First Assembly a few times as a teenager because the youth pastor would come to Georgetown, come pick me up in the church van, and your boy be on the back of the church van wowing y'all. Like, I mean, going crazy. Like, I don't know, for my teachers in the room, for, your, for those of you who are A-plus students and you know you got the troublemakers in your class, I don't know what bad kids were like in your school, in your context. Your boy was a problem. <laughs> I was just bad. I was doing things on that school, on that bus I shouldn't have been doing. We'd be jumping over the seat like he's driving. We'd be yelling at him. He would slam on the brakes. People would die. I'm just kidding. Nobody died. But it was just, it was insane. It was chaos. But during one of the hardest seasons of my life as a young man, I found myself going back to the place that I didn't know held part of my destiny, that it held part of my calling. It was at that church. It was at that place that I found and cultivated my relationship with the Lord. It was at that place that I was discipled. It was at that place that I realized I was chosen. It was at that place that I had the first opportunity to serve and lead. It was at that place that I got the first opportunity to preach. It was at that place that I began to pursue my ministerial credentials. It was at that place that I found my wife and married my wife. It was at that place that God changed my life. And who would have thought that a young man from the ghetto of Georgetown, Georgia, graduating class, here we go, of 45, 45, and I was, num I was number five, by the way, not because I was smart, because everybody in my class was lazy, graduating class, of 40 but I was smart, but listen to, the, listen to this stuff, dropout rate high, 
pregnancy rate high, incarceration rate high, crime rate high, death rate high, divorce rate high, poverty rate high. What does this mean? There was a high chance that I wouldn't live to be 18. I shouldn't have made it. Not only that, to get a high school diploma, to not get a girl pregnant or be dead or in jail, I, I didn't just beat the odds, I started to realize something about my life, now looking back at it, that about this question, who God chooses to use? Who would have thought that God could use someone like me? Who would have thought that God would call me back to the place that I was born to see other people come back to life? I want to tell you that you have to answer the question, who does God choose to use? I never imagined this for my life. I never imagined me, Lindsay, I never imagined this for my life. I didn't, I didn't picture myself talking to a generation of young people about part of my life at your age through the lens to try to get you to understand that I get it. I never imagined this. I never dreamed I would ever go across the nation to travel, let alone preach the gospel. I've been in Maine, and I've never even been there. I've been on a Zoom call talking to youth pastors and youth leaders in Maine in the comforts of Dothan, Alabama. Who, who would have thought? I never, it never entered my heart or my mind that God would use me to help change lives. I never thought I would leave Georgetown. I never thought I would be able to see the things that God has allowed me to see, to use me to see my family and my friends set free from the chains that I was bound by. I found it funny that I was talking to Pastor Mark not too long ago. We were having this conversation, and I was like, man, it's kind of cool that I get to minister in the place that I used to sin in, not this church, but in this city. It's amazing to me that God is like, bro, you were so jacked up, but I got my hand on you. I'm going to use you. And he was showing me that this question, who God chooses to use, has some criteria. I never imagined that God would allow me to help shape a generation that's going to shape my children. I get to speak into the people that are going to help raise my daughter. I never thought God would choose me. And, in, and, that is the, and if that is the case, in fact, what God did is he did this simple thing, and it's the same thing that he did for you. He chose you. And guess what? He continues to choose you. So what criteria does he look for? What qualities does he look for? What parameters and prerequisites does he look for to choose? And I suspect that there are some people in here that want God to, cho they want God to choose them to be used for his glory. And you will know after today whether or not you are a candidate for God to choose and use you. I don't know about you, but I want to be an instrument for God to continue to use and choose me for his glory. So number one, somebody say number one. Say number one. The almighty chooses the least likely to do the unlikely. Pastor Will, that rhymed a little bit. Yeah, that was the point because it helped you remember it. The almighty chooses the least likely to do the unlikely. Pastor, well, I need some Bible for that. How, how, do you, how do you know that is true? Because all throughout the scripture, it reveals how God uses the least likely to do the miraculous. Paul got chosen by God, and Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. I am the least important of all the apostles. In fact, I caused so much trouble for God's church that I don't deserve to be called an apostle. Paul says, I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm so bad. I, like, my life is so jacked up, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle, but it is by the grace of God that he calls me one anyway. For those of you that don't know the character of Paul, Paul was out here killing Christians and persecuting the church. 
Paul, and he wrote most of your New Testament. Most people don't even understand that. Here's another thing. Paul reveals that the reason he is not worthy is because when he looks back over his history, he sees where he persecuted Christians. He sees where he caused harm to his brothers and sisters. He sees where he caused harm to the people he was now preaching to. And Paul says that makes him least qualified, yet God still chose him and used him. All right, Pastor Will, you gave us Paul. I need to have somebody else in the Bible because Paul's a good character, but if it's only one person, then that doesn't really make a difference. Well, there are a bunch of characters because there's another character by the name of Gideon in Judges 6.15. Gideon says, my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe, and I am the least in my father's house. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I know there are some of you that have came into this room tonight. You've sat in that chair, and you have that same idea that I am the least important person in my dad's house. I'm not that important, Pastor Will. You, I get you're talking about history and destiny, and you're talking about my life and my future, and you're speaking to something deeper in me, but you don't understand. I am, I am overlooked in my own house. Gideon said the same thing. In fact, Saul said it in 1 Samuel 9, 21. This is King Saul. He says, but I, I'm only from the smallest tribe, and my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking to me like this? Samuel, Samuel is this prophet, and he's having this conversation with Saul. And the way that they describe Saul, it says Saul was a head taller from his shoulders up than all the people. They wanted to pick him as king. And then Saul, in his insecurity, says to Samuel, a prophet, why are you talking to me like this? I'm not the one that you pick. I'm not only the, we're not only part of the smallest tribe. I, we, I'm part of the, most, the least important family in the tribe. What about David? David was the youngest son and the least likely to be the Lord's anointed in the eyes of Samuel. The same person that anointed Saul thought David wasn't anointed. Moses begged God not to use him because he couldn't speak well. Why am I telling you this? You've heard me say it before, but God has a supernatural knack for turning what you think is nothing into something. That is part of what he loves to do. He loves to look into nothing and speak everything into existence. See, when you look in the mirror, you see nothing. When God looks at you in the mirror, he sees everything that you can be. And then he speaks it over you. As we quoted in Isaiah, you are called by my name. You are mine. I call you by your name. You belong to me. He makes saints out of sinners. Only God can look into nothing and call out everything. God takes somebody who is the least of everybody, that person that nobody thinks he will become anything, do anything, be anything. He takes that person that the people say, your daddy was nothing, your granddaddy was nothing, and you ain't going to be nothing. He loves to use those people. God takes the person that you, that you he, God takes that person, he uses that person. And I take that somebody that's nothing and he takes that somebody that's nothing and turns them into something extraordinary and beautiful because he loves taking the broken pieces of somebody's life and making them beautiful. And the reason I'm telling you that is because you heard part of my story, but that was me. God looked into, from eternity, into time, into Georgetown, Georgia, and said, my hand is on him. I want to use him. I'm here to tell you that God looks from eternity into time, into this moment, sees you sitting right here and says, my hand is on her. My hand is on him. I want to use them. God chooses, the question is, who does God choose to use? 
I remember what it felt like to be rejected. I know you may think, Pastor Will, you don't know what it's like growing up today. You have no idea. Rejection feels like rejection no matter what era you, were, you grew up in. It feels like rejection. For college students and seniors and juniors, you're ready to fill out college applications. And you, I, I, they, they might not know the sting of it yet. If you ever got a letter back, it was like, I'm sorry, you're on the waiting list. I'm sorry you didn't get in. I get it. I'll be more personal. You know, it's like when you slid in the DMs and they don't say nothing back, like rejection. It's real. I get it. Some of you won't even talk to people because you're afraid of rejection. I know what it's like to feel rejection, to be neglected. Pastor Will, what do you mean to be neglected? That word means forgotten. To not even be thought of. For people, for me to literally be in a room full of people just like this and to be forgotten, it's almost as bad as being ignored because it's just like being ignored. To be looked over, to be pushed to the side. I'm telling you this because when I told you my story that I was mixed, I remember growing up in the hood and I wasn't black enough. And then I remember going to my mom's side of the family reunions and I wasn't white enough. It was, it was just this tension that I had to manage. It was frustrating. He's too ghetto. He's too raw. God chose me and I decided, I, God chose me and he decided that I was good enough to be used by him. All these pressures the Almighty chooses the least likely to do the unlikely. The, bur- the Bible further corroborates my claim because men don't go into lion's dens and come out in one piece. In fact, they don't go in there at all. But with Daniel, Daniel did. Boys don't go into fiery furnaces and then come out even smelling like smoke. But with the Hebrew boys, they did. Walls don't fall by people screaming at them, but with Joshua, they do. Women in their 90s with 90-year-old hips in a walker don't have babies, but with Sarah, they do. Here, here's another one. Dead men don't go into a grave, stay there four days, but with Lazarus, it happened. Why am I telling you all this? Because if God can use Daniel, if God can use Joshua, if God can use Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if God can use Moses, if God can use Sarah, if God can use Lazarus, I want you to know that he can and he wants to use you. Paul goes on to say again in Ephesians 3.8, I am the least deserving of all God's people. I am the least deserving of all the saints. I'm the least deserving. Paul, the greatest writer of the New Testament, I, I'm the least deserving. Here's another one, 1 Timothy 1.15. This is Paul's letter to his predecessor, Timothy, to his son in the faith. He says, Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Paul never went around flaunting his name, talking about how he's an apostle, how he's been with God. He came out and said to people, he wrote to churches, I am the worst sinner of all. Paul reveals to us the criteria for God choosing us, what God chooses to use when selecting people who are least likely. Well, let me tell you who he doesn't use. He, he chooses people, well, let me, let me say it different. He chooses people who aren't prideful. I'll tell you that. If you have a pride issue in your life, God's not going to choose you. Pastor Will, that strong language, he kicks Satan out for pride. 
He chooses people who don't think they're all that. He chooses people who don't think they have it all together or all figured out. He chooses people who don't think they're always right. Because if you are perfect and prideful, you won't be picked by God. I'm here to tell you that God is looking for broken, beaten, messed up people so that he can restore you, build you back up so that you can go back out into a broken, beat up, messed up world and pull those people out of darkness because you've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light and see those people see the same thing happen in their life. That's what he's called you to do. That's what we have. We, we have a lot of people pretending that they have it all together pretending that they have it all figured out. And they look, they look good on the outside, but on the inside, they're a completely different person. And do you know what we call those people? I'll tell you what we call those people. We call them actors. But there's a word in the Bible. The Bible calls them hypocrites. Hypocrites. What is a hypocrite? Anyone who says they believe in Jesus but don't live like Jesus. Anyone who says they believe in our Lord but don't live for him. Matthew 15, 7, 9 says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Could you imagine Jesus like, hey, bro, my boy, my boy Isaiah, the prophet, man, he was not lying when he was talking about y'all. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They, their worship is a farce. Pastor Will, I have no idea what that word means. It means an absurd, choreographed, comedic act comedic act using buffoonery and horseplay, including crude characterizations and ludicrous situations. It's acting. He says the worship is fake. The worship is not real. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. They claim to know God, but they, they, their actions deny him. Hypocrites give to be seen. They worship to be seen. They fast to be noticed. They pray to be heard. It is an outward spiritual pride to impress people. A hypocrite is cynical, critical. They like to pretend. They like to act. They talk right but live wrong. They know the right things to say but don't do the right things with their life. Here's what hypocrites do, and you know some of them because there's a little hypocrite in all of us. They justify what they should be convicted by. They justify their convictions. It was just one time. Jesus used the word hypocrite to describe them as actors and pretenders because they play the role but don't act the part. And here is the problem with acting like a Christian. Here's the problem with pretending with your faith. People don't have to disprove, the, disprove what we believe if they can discredit how we live. They don't have to disprove what we believe if they can discredit the way we live. So let me let you in on a theological truth. It's no secret. Indeed, this is a fact. I want you to listen, lean in close, and watch this. Are y'all ready for the secret? Are y'all ready for the secret? Hell is real. Hell is real. Pastor Will, what do you mean? See, the issue with a play-play faith is that there's a real, real hell. Like, it's for real. And I don't know if you hate hot outside, but you're going to hate hot for eternity. It's not fun. Unquenchable, all-consuming fire. I want to ask you, why are you gambling with your future? Why are you playing catch with your eternity? Some of you are full-time students and part-time followers of Jesus. Some of you are full-time athletes and part-time followers of Jesus. It's interesting to me that we know how to play church. That's Christian language. We use it all the time. But here's my point. 
I'd rather be an honest sinner than a lying hypocrite. I'd rather be honest about my life. I'd rather be a sinner trying to live the truth than a hypocrite living a lie, as James said. They are fake Christians who are acting themselves into a real hell, hypocrites. Striving for heaven while living in sin. And my prayer, my question is, who does God choose to use? I'm going to tell you there's a difference between hypocrisy and humanity. There's a difference between hypocrisy and humanity. I'm not going to be able to get through all this and as I get ready to wrap up. Pastor Will, why are you talking about there's a difference between hypocrisy and humanity? We've quoted it earlier, Romans 3.23. Everyone has sinned and is far away from God's saving presence. Being a Christian doesn't mean you won't make mistakes. That's not what I'm talking about. Worship team, if you'll come. Being a Christian doesn't mean you won't make mistakes. It doesn't mean you won't mess up, you won't have mishaps, you won't stumble. But the Bible says that a righteous man falls down seven times, but he keeps getting back up. Why am I telling you this? Because I'm telling you, you will make mistakes. It's okay, just take a deep breath. Because God's not calling any of you to perfection. He's perfecting you. Listen, you can't be perfect anyway because as the verse just said, you already messed up. You were born into this life of sin. And you don't always live up to what you believe, but that's not hypocrisy, that's humanity. And every one of us is going to fall short. You've said things you shouldn't have said. You've done things you shouldn't have done. You, 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 we've had to apologize and right wrongs. We've had to do all these things, and we're all just humans trying to live holy. Especially if you're a believer, you're just a human trying your best to live godly. Working as hard as you can, not to earn grace, but to walk in it. And you try so hard to walk in your grace that you think on your best days, on your good days, the Bible says your good deeds are like filthy rags. And then you have the nerve and the audacity and the gall to look down your nose at everybody else and act as if you are better than them because you don't sin the way they do. Hypocrites. But a hypocrite is different. Again, a hypocrite is an actor. The only issue with Christians with Christians acting is you don't get paid for it. But there is a verse that talks about what you do get paid. It says, for the wages of sin is death. That's what you get paid for in your sin, death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Those of us who are believers in Jesus, y'all heard the phrase, YOLO, you only live once? Christians, we live twice. We die on earth and then we live forever. You, we live forever in eternity in the presence of our Father. A person, uh, this hypocrite, this actor, is a person that has lines that they remember and repeat. Pretending to be someone they're not. Jesus never spoke more harshly to any group of people than he did to hypocrites. He didn't talk to the Sadducees. That, well, they were hypocrites, but he didn't, he didn't, when he used the word hypocrite, it wasn't just he called them Sadducees or Pharisees or scribes. He was specifically talking to the hypocrisy in the church. He didn't speak any more harshly to any other group of people. He never talked this way to a sinner. 
if you don't believe me, watch The Chosen. That's important for next week. But not only watch The Chosen, you should probably read your Bible. And the reason I'm telling you this is because I can name a lot of sinners in the Bible, and he treated all of them with grace. Every last one of them. And here's what's interesting. Jesus doesn't condemn those who actually sin. He said, he said it in John 3.17. We read it last or a few weeks ago. Uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he, he gave his son. But in John 3.17, he talks about, I didn't come to condemn the world. He doesn't condemn them. He does convict, but he doesn't condemn he doesn't condemn those who say things they shouldn't. He doesn't condemn those who say who do things they shouldn't. He doesn't condemn those who see things they shouldn't, but he does convict. He, what does that mean? He arrests your heart and says, don't do that anymore. Every time you read a sinner in the New Testament, you can find the words where he says, go and sin no more. He literally, when he meets them, he arrests their heart, talks to them, and then gives them the challenge, don't sin anymore. Or he says this sometimes, your faith has healed you. Jesus calls those people hypocrites who do things they shouldn't but act like they don't. Jesus spoke harshly to those who were imperfect but acted like they were. He spoke harshly to those people who acted perfect but weren't. And I would propose that our culture today has been the breeding ground for hypocrisy. Let me say it in a way that you can understand. I would go as far as to say that social media has produced more hypocrites than it has disciples. Yeah, you, you need to tell people that. I guarantee you, social media has produced more hypocrites than it ever has disciples. And it's easy to see the hypocrisy in other people, but it's difficult to recognize it within ourselves. And the truth is, there is hope for the hypocrite in all of us. In fact, I want to say this last thing to you. Jesus has zero tolerance for a hypocrite, but unlimited grace for a sinner in need of forgiveness. Jesus has zero tolerance for a hypocrite, but he has unlimited grace for a sinner in need of forgiveness.